This Rhythm and News podcast is brought to you by the Port of Seattle. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity and Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.ctacshops.com. Seattle Public Schools is welcoming, welcoming back another one of its native sons as Ted Howard II has been appointed as the new Assistant Superintendent of Strategy and Climate, a move that many people in the community are very excited about. Um, with you this morning to talk about education and its position with SPS is Ted Howard. Good morning, Ted. Hey, good morning, sir. How you doing? I'm doing well, and yourself? Oh, man, fantastic, fantastic. That's good. Ted, um, last time that we spoke on this show was two years ago when you announced that you were leaving your position as principal of Garfield High School and were taking a role as the chief academic officer with the Tukwila School District. And, you know, a lot has transpired over the course of the last two years. Yes, it has. Yes. It's, uh, I've gone to school. I've uh, invested in, in another community and learned so much uh, in that process and, and working with uh, diverse communities, uh, migrant uh, families, as well as uh, families of, of different races out in Tukwila. They had over 80 different languages. So uh, wow. I'm bringing that wealth of knowledge, the wealth of experience, and understanding of the federal laws back with me uh, and want to apply that in the Seattle area. Wow. Now, you also, you mentioned you went back to school, and you now have your superintendent certification, correct? Yes, that's correct. Um, that was a, a journey within itself, but it was a, a journey that I think anytime you decide to go back to school, your mind it has to be in a good place because uh, you have to be open to change. And uh, not only did I change physically, mentally, uh, but also spiritually. Uh, you have to be ready to take on uh, take on that newness of almost shedding your old self to open up yourself to uh, new ideas, new possibilities, and looking down the road uh, 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 and reflecting. I think that's the biggest piece for me, reflecting. And then the question I always ask myself after I finish doing anything is, going back to the very people that I talk to, mentors or people in the community, what did I miss? Because mm. things constantly change. And if I'm not asking what did I miss, then I'm in trouble. And so I want to be collaborative with everyone, but I also want to start off by asking that question, what did I miss? What did I miss uh, as we continue to grow and continue to change and continue to make sure we're building what we look for is the future, not the past. We want to take the past with us, but we want to be looking through that front uh, window, that windshield in our car is way bigger than that little window we look through in the back. That's in the <laughs> past, but let's keep looking forward through that front windshield so we can keep building and building for the future for our, our young people so they can have that legacy and promise that uh, our families promised us, our parents promised us, but now it's time to, uh, to cash in on that and make sure along the way they can cash in on it so they can keep growing. 
Right. And, and let's talk about that uh, legacy a little bit. Uh, let's talk about your new position. You know, what are you? What duties are you being charged with, and how do you believe that you will be able to impact Seattle Public Schools uh, as a whole in this new position? Uh, Dr. Um, Dr. Jones's vision is around climate and strategy and partnerships. Uh, and so the climate of the Seattle School District, where is it at? Uh, is it a 10? Is it a 9? And why is it not a 10? Um, that, that's a huge conversation about how we can improve and what we should be improving on. Um, I, I think a lot of times uh, as we walk into the schoolhouse, we uh, think the schoolhouse is going to do everything. But the schoolhouse is a a uh, academic uh, powerhouse and the other pieces of making sure your child the other pieces to take advantage of that academic powerhouse comes from partnerships with parents uh, with the community uh, all our organizations whether it's NAACP whether it's no, uh, no child left behind I mean all those different pieces you partner with people to come in because you can't do it all we have a small piece of development for a child and then when your child leaves the schoolhouse, we got to make sure your child is partnering with all the different communities, whether it's Boys and Girls Club, all these different pieces that makes that child whole. Um, and the moment that we think as an organization, uh, Seattle Public Schools, that we can do it all, we're in trouble. No, our job is to really improve academic achievement. So let's get really good at academic achievement and making sure every teacher has the skills to teach all our kids. Uh, and that's the first thing we need to look at. Um, when we look at our our uh, our teaching core, uh, over 80 percent, I say it's about 79 and some change of our teachers are white female. And we need to own that. And so we know we have blind spots there and working with our our uh, our teaching core. And how do we make sure that our teaching core sees every student where they are as just bright stars and making sure they can reach beyond where they are, not coming in and seeing them as, as deficits and uh, you know, I was a teacher, uh, and my heart's still into teaching. Uh, I want to make sure teachers have the skills that they need to be able to uh, to make sure our kids can get what they need. And that means partnering. Um, you know, uh, someone would ask me, well, well, how do you do that, and how do we hold them accountable? Well, the number one thing that we, we realized that when I was in school and, um, and when I was teaching and still considering myself a teacher, uh, parents came into the classroom. That's how we held... Uh, teachers accountable to make sure your kid got what they needed. It wasn't um, writing them or emailing them. It was particularly looking at your, your calendar going, okay, I got a week of vacation coming up. I'm coming to the classroom on uh, in September. I'll be back in October. I'll be back in November. Uh, and they worked to make sure that their kid was getting what they needed. Uh, you know, every parent should be doing that. Nobody should be handing their kids over to uh, a dry cleaners that uh, sometimes we metaphorically call schools the dry cleaners and think they're going to switch shine and take care of your kids because we weren't the first teachers of your kids and we don't know what you what your kids hopes and dreams are but we should take that blank slate and allow them to just uh, critically analyze and figure out where you want to go but there's some flaws in Seattle Public Schools in a lot of different ways and we need to analyze that but at the same time we're analyzing those flaws we have to make sure that we're providing pathways for all our kids. So we want to look at college pathways for our kids. Uh, we want to make sure we have advanced placement in all our schools for all our kids. And we want to make sure that our kids come in and their self-esteem and 
their ability to develop is not squashed when they walk into the schoolhouse, that we see them as, as stars. And so that's, that's the big piece, I think, uh, Dr. Jones's vision about how to do that and then setting up a, a, a place where parents, if they don't have the necessary skills, they can get those skills by working with uh, partners in our community. Uh, a lot of times it's not money. You know, sometimes people say, well, we just need $100,000 or $50,000. You know, some of the best times I had uh, growing up was not with money, but it was like playing with my friends and hanging out when we didn't have no money. And we were being creative and coming up with games and other things that we were doing because we didn't have any money. And so, um, you know, those are some of the things that I I bring to the table, but also uh, the partnering that we we need to be doing, whether uh, whether we're partnering with uh, organizations and spiritually partnering with our our churches. Those are the other pieces that uh, I want to make sure we um, uh, partner with our our churches to uh, to bring a sense of of uh, of ownership in our community. So, right. And and Ted, you mentioned the school building quite a bit, and that's been very important when it comes to education because everything reflecting the students actually takes place inside those buildings. You know, with that being said, how important is it to have teachers that are a good match with the student body and the overall philosophy from the leadership within the building? It it's huh, that is the key um, when you're talking about boots on the ground, um, and and the key is not to go out and uh, I know people say uh, we need to go down south and grab uh, teachers and bring them um, uh, up to Seattle. Well, uh, in Tukwila, I looked at all that. I had a chance to to, to partner with Clemson University and some of uh, uh, South Carolina, some of the universities down there, some of the HBCUs as well, and I found that. They're having the same struggles that we're having up here on the West Coast, uh, producing uh, high-quality teachers uh, of all different races, but producing that. Uh, a teaching field, not too many people are going into the teaching field, and then when they get into the teaching field, um, how does, do they sustain it? you got to remember um, when someone says go into teaching, how and who goes into teaching. Uh, it's not the number one income in the family. It's the secondary income and the amount of time that you have to take off uh, to make a living, you have to take a year off of work uh, to do an internship. Uh, most people can't afford to do that, so that's a barrier immediately. So we have to look internally. When, when I look at our paraeducators in Seattle Public Schools, we have uh, over 70% of our paraeducators are people of color. So we have to start growing what we have right here in front of us and create pathways for our uh, our paraeducators. And that's what they our paraeducators are for. They're like paramedics. They're, they're they start off as a student teacher to become a teacher. And so let's start creating pathways for them to get into the teaching field so we can actually have every building be a representation of what's walking into the building. And so we got to work with the unions, um, and that takes some time. I know sometimes uh, the window opens. Uh, we, we have a black superintendent, and the window opens, and we want it instantly and because uh, we've been waiting so long. And uh, But that means when someone... Uh, like a Brent Stature coming from Seattle, homegrown, gets here. He is familiar with the problems, but the problems are institutionalized. They didn't. They didn't start yesterday. Uh, they started hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Um, I, I can talk to people who come back to see their alma mater, and they they tell me all the time, it looks looks exactly like it looked 50 years ago. And I said, oh my gosh, we got more work to do. And that's that's the institution. The institution was set up. Uh, that way to, to be divisive and, and cause issues. And so a lot of times the, the mechanism to make change is not um, 
going to the board or, or standing out in front and pounding your fist. It's the me- mechanism of the, as the grassroots changes is, like you said, in that classroom and working with the principals and teachers to make change happen. Um, and Tuckwilla, that's where we started. We started in the classroom. We didn't expect the board to do certain things. We expected the board to support what we were doing, but we had to show them the changes that needed to be made. You know, our, our boards don't represent uh, our, our classrooms and don't represent uh, the needs of, of our, our students and families. Uh, they are uh, almost the last group of people to understand the change. And quite frankly, they don't have a background in education. So, you know, to expect them to all of a sudden understand all the, the ins and outs and, and how a, a school system works is, uh, you know, uh, is impossible. You know, it's an impossible job. Uh, I, I, I do, uh, and I'm thankful for anybody who steps up to be on a board to make change. Um, and that, and that takes a lot to, uh, to learn and do. But the grassroots changes has to happen in the classroom, like you mentioned, and it has to happen with parents and students and, and us, uh, going into the classroom to make change happen for, for our students. Uh, and that way, as we build buildings and classrooms that are representative of what we need, it can be flexible for change for the future as well. Right. And Ted, you, you spoke a lot, uh, a little bit about pathways and, um, you know, pathways to progress from being a paraeducator to an actual teacher. Um, and with that being said, let's talk a little bit about your path right now, because I'm not sure how many people are aware of your plight in education. I, I know there's a lot of people who are familiar and know that your parents were educators and, and possibly can uh, give that probably possibly can give people the impression that, you know, you were handed the keys to the Bentley from day one. But as the song goes, you started from the bottom. Now you're here. You started your career <laughs> with Seattle Public Schools as an instructional assistant and home school coordinator. And then when you talk about role models and someone who really knows the system, uh, what works, what doesn't work, what needs improvement, you can speak to so many of these different things because you've seen it firsthand. But, you know, you are also uh, a model of, you know, how you can start off in the system uh, in a in a position um, that are important positions, but aren't necessarily the primary positions people look at, but and, and create a pathway to yourself for yourself um, and for others to really um, come up the ranks and make an impact at whatever that level is that they really want to be at and level off at. Yes, you're absolutely right. I think um, a lot of times we take that for granted. Um, we see the end results, but we don't see where you started. Um, one of the things uh, was embedded in me and uh, before my mom passed and my dad's still here 80 plus years uh, is to be humble. And it's a gift every time you walk in to do any job that you're doing and you always want to leave it better than what you found it. Those are found foundational core values. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's really important to show uh, and demonstrate and role model to uh, all races what that looks like um, I want to be a role model for our black males so they can see that hard work and that's why I I, I had the opportunity to come back I came back um, it, it's very rare that we look into the schoolhouse and see role models and those role models have to be present they have to be around our black males they have to be around uh, and so they can see what excellence looks like and you can have conversations uh, you know when when you start asking those questions that you so eloquently put out there most of the times our interactions uh, are the most important part when you can relax in the lunchroom or before school or after school so you can actually ask the questions you want to ask and learn from it. You know, 
a lot of times people forget that that's a form of learning. When COVID happened, um, people understood that that social interaction was so important and they missed it, but we took it for granted. We took hanging out in the lunchroom and, and talking to one another for granted. Um, you know, it just has intensified even more with students using uh, electronics uh, to communicate, and, and they yearn for that, that, that we were, we're social beings. We need to socialize, but the, the piece of coming from, like you said, the bottom to the top, you know, from being a playground assistant at Beacon Hill Elementary all the way to Principal Garfield, you know, that started with, with a dream early on, but it started because we brought people that uh, looked like me and people who didn't look like me came into the classroom and start talking about their careers. I mean, we see it in the movies all the time where, it, where it's career day, but that's important. It's important to have careers and people to come in and for you to learn about it, for you to ask questions, and then for you to develop and decide if you would like to go down that pathway or not. That was exposed to me in kindergarten and uh, first grade, you know, um, when I was at Martin Luther King Elementary School, you know, Ms. McKinney was uh, uh, the principal there, and I got an opportunity for career day for people to come in, professors, educators, my parents, other people, uh, to to expose me to that. Uh, you hear people all the time saying, hey, how did you get into music? Uh, my parents played music all the time. Well, these are how we continue to feed what our interests are. If you have a child that's interested and being a professor, you have to continue to feed that. Uh, we have no problem feeding, and I have, and this is another pathway. But we have no problem feeding AAU basketball or or, or football or some of the uh, athletic aspects, whether it's soccer or, or softball or baseball. We feed that. But how do you feed your child academically? These are the structures that, as a schoolhouse, we can help provide ways to continue to feed your child at, at kindergarten, first, second, third. And we should be providing that. The teachers used to provide that, but at the same time, there was a blind spot. So um, some of our structures that we need to provide is, is the continuous mechanism of feeding that. You know, what, what fed basketball or football is continue to practice and continue to be out with other people playing and growing with them. So how do you do that in the schoolhouse? You, you can't just do it when you come to the classroom. Uh, everybody's coming in at different levels, and as they come in with different levels, teachers got to be able to scaffold that instruction from A to Z, and we work on reading, we work on math. Even if we're in reading class, we work on a lot of different skills. We're in social studies. We work on all those different skills, but a lot of times teachers don't have all those skills. So when they walk out of the door, we know that they're missing certain things, and the, uh, the parents have to step up other people have to pour into them because they're missing those things. Uh, I remember once upon a time when I took math, I got to the point where I was taking math higher than where my parents were. My parents were like, we got to get somebody that's going to help you because you're past where I know how to help you on math. And they did that. You know, whether it was a neighbor next door that knew how to do uh, some trig or they started reaching out to other people and they connected me. We, they networked to, to help because, they didn't, they didn't know how to do that. They didn't know how to do that, that level of math. And so the same type of things that go on, I think uh, we, need to, we need to do that on a regular basis. Uh, same thing happened when we got ready to, um, to, to uh, uh, get my driver's license. Uh, luckily, we had a car, but some of our neighbors didn't have a car, and their kids, my parents, allowed that to happen as well. So those are mm -hmm. some powerful things of networking to make things grow, move forward, and help people develop that, you know, as a community, we need to pour in, and we need to own that. Right. And, and Ted, before I let you go, and I appreciate your time this morning, 
Uh, and we can talk briefly uh, about the role that leadership and culture play in education, because there are many school districts across the country, and I personally believe that Seattle Public Schools uh, fell into this category some time ago, and that is uh, leadership that was not creating the right culture for success in the system across the board. And I'm not asking you to talk specifically about Seattle Public Schools, but in general, how important is it to have the right leadership in place that creates the right culture throughout the system in order to generate the type of results that everyone claims to be on a trajectory or the trajectory that they actually um, are hoping to be on uh, in order for everyone to achieve in the system? It, it is it is the key. And a lot of people, uh, I shouldn't say a lot of people, I, uh, um, the people sometimes I bump into get confused about when you say culture. What is culture? Well, culture envisioning is what happens after you leave the room. Um, it's, it's the leftover ingredients that you are creating. Um, and either it's welcoming, and if someone says, well, I can't put my finger on it. Well, when you walk into the building, are, is it inviting? Well, uh, sometimes no, it's not. Okay, that's culture. Um, another part of it is when students are reading, do they have books that uh, are collectively for all students? Um, because every student uh, uh, background and culture should be seen in what we do in math, science, re- that's culture. And so that inclusive culture is so important. And when you have a leader who steps in and understands how, how important uh, inclusivity is, uh, being included but also welcomed uh, to develop, is so key at kindergarten, first, second, third, but it doesn't stop. Um, we, you know, this is a passion for me. So it, it's, it, I'm continuously researching, growing, and changing myself. As adults, we get to a point where we don't want to change. Um, try to move someone's computer and see what happens. Try to move their chair and see what happens. But they are the adults that are working with our kids. And if they're not willing to change, then we're in trouble. And that's how fast mm-hmm. grow if our, if our adults won't change. And so we never ask the question, we're always talking about what the kids need and what, what they're doing, but the kids are being taught by educators. How quickly are our principals and teachers ready to change? That's the question parents should be asking them. What, what did you read over the summer? What did you do differently for this group of kids that are coming in? They are totally different from the year before. Don't compare my kid from first grade to second grade. It was seven kids in my family. When we grew up, my parents knew each and every one of our kids needed something different. I needed something different than my sister than my brother, and whether we want to say it or not, I I used to hear parents come in and they say this, oh, I treat all my kids the same. No, you don't. You treat each kid differently and give them what they need. And the second piece of that that I will lean in when we start talking about culture, for people to be culturally okay, they always say this, I don't see color. Well, you should see color uh, because color is in front of you, and each person who's coming in has a different background and, and needs something different, and you should be trying to provide that for them. And that means you have to go and continuously change. And so what change are you doing as an educator in this art form of teaching to reach your kids on a continuous basis? Because, um, and I use these metaphors all the time. Uh, Could I dress you the way I dress? You know, my kids won't let me dress them. I mean, they're they're adults now, but when they were young kids, they were like, nah, I'm not wearing that. You know, I had to take my kids with me to go get their clothes before when they were little kids. I'd go buy the clothes and then bring them home. They didn't know any different. But when they start going to school, uh, they weren't wearing the things that I wanted them to wear. They they changed. 
Uh, same thing with haircuts. Same thing with clothes. So the culture continuously uh, evolves and changes, and that's what the schoolhouse should be doing. It should be a representative of changing moving forward. And so we have to uh, not just be users of technologies. We need to be inventors of technology, and we need to be inventors of math and science. And that that evolves by asking kids questions and analyzing and critically taking what the, what students are saying, and then the kids should see that in the lessons. When kids bring that home, teachers should be doing that, but parents should see that, and parents should make time at the dinner table. And if they're not using using technology to talk to their kids and see what they did uh, throughout the day, it wasn't a day that didn't go by. My parents um, didn't didn't cook, but they did cook. But part of that cooking was to bring us together and ask, "Did you get your homework done? What did you learn today?" And also to find out if teachers had done their job. And if they didn't, my parents made time to go up there and have a conversation. You know, I don't see big families of seven kids anymore. That's a southern thing. My, when my parents came from Lufkin, Texas, up to uh, to Seattle, and uh, you know, and and came up here to have a big family, everybody was doing that. And so most of the black folks that are here in Seattle migrated from somewhere else. And now it's our job to continue to grab a piece of that pie and develop that here for the future. Um, and but we can't forget where we came from. And it, it was hard work that got us there. And it's here, um, especially as I look uh, at how much houses cost and <laughs> and what, yeah. what jobs are, are are available and what jobs are disappearing as we move forward, um, you know I want our kids to have a piece of that future, and it's up to us to give back to make sure that that piece is there. And so, coming back into yeah. uh, Seattle Public Schools, I want to make sure that I do my part in creating that legacy and making sure the promise to me is to make sure that every student can reach their dreams. And so that promise is, uh, is what I'm committed to, and I'm committed to Dr. Jones's leadership, and I, I'm so happy that he decided to become superintendent of Seattle Public Schools so we can actually start to realize some of the things that were left off the table, being homegrown, can get back on the table. Because a lot of times you bring someone from outside, they don't know the community, and it takes them sometimes five or six or seven years to learn the community to actually say, oh, we need to put these things in. That was so key. Why did that, why did that disappear? But people have forgotten. We've turned over superintendents so much in the last 10 years, they can't implement some of the things that they may have wanted to do. They're gone in two years. The average superintendent in Seattle Public Schools has been less than two years. And so you can't run an organization when you're constantly changing at the top and changing in the middle and at the bottom, it, it, it creates chaos. We see it every time we look in a building. We see principals turning over every other year or every three years, every four years. Those those schools aren't doing well. Even though we have great educators there, it, the turnover, uh, it, you know, it, it will it will get uh, start to become cancerous, and we don't want that to happen. We want to take advantage of his leadership and take advantage of, of the strong, uh, people we have in our community and start to build community and work together. And it takes time to build those relationships. It don't happen overnight. Right. Well, Ted Howard, people can, if they didn't know before, now they can see why people are so excited about you coming back to Seattle Public Schools in this new capacity. I want to thank you for joining us on today's show and wish you uh, much continued success uh, in all aspects of your life, personally and professionally. Thank you, sir. I, I appreciate your, your show, and I appreciate uh, your your father and your mother and what they built in Seattle and giving us uh, a, just a platform to be able to continue to reach out and grow our own community, our black community. So thank you for what you do every day. I think sometimes you uh, people expect you to do what you do, 
but it's it's a it's a necessary need uh, with the with the newspaper to tell our stories and for us to see ourselves. So I appreciate you so much more than you know. I think after I left and come back, I see it so clearer than I did before. I kind of took advantage of it before, but now I see the necessary need uh, for us to see role models and and see ourselves because it it. It just doesn't happen. It it takes time to develop, and it, and you you've continued that second legacy with your after your father has moved on and challenged himself in different ways. And now you're doing it. So uh, my I take my hat off and I salute you. Thank you for doing what you do. Thank you. I appreciate it. Have a great great weekend, my friend.